Our scripture this morning comes from the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. Hear now God's word. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The word of the Lord. Praise the Lord that we have children among us. Amen? Praise the Lord that they can feel free to be welcome here and do whatever they want. Because I say this to every parent that comes into our congregation, that their kid can stay in service and make as much noise and do whatever they want, and no one will judge them. Because the first person who looks at them with judgment in their eyes, they, I tell the parents, memorize that face, and then come tell me at the end of the worship service, and I will hunt that person down, and they will be talking with me in my office, and it will not be a pleasant conversation. Because Jesus loved children. He loved having children in his presence. And he said, let the children come to me. And then he said the most harsh thing he said in all of his whole ministry, that those who trip one of these little ones up, let it be like a millstone. Those of you guys are going to Israel with me in January, you'll see what the millstones he's talking about look like. Be hung around their neck and then be thrown into the sea. So I have some righteous indignation that I can pour out if you guys, so if you see a child and you think, ah, I want to throw some eyes of judgment towards them or something like that, just fake it because you don't want to have that conversation with me. This morning we're talking about a softer side of God, though. We're talking about a side of God where he is inviting us into a relationship with him, to encounter him, to be a part of what he is, to share himself with us. And we're starting a new series called Encounter to talk about that idea. Remember I said this second half of the year, we're kind of doing these little mini theologies, these little kind of like little series that are talking about a concept or an idea. And so this series, Encounter, is really talking about the idea of your daily, now the word we tend to use is devotion to God, right? How many of you have you ever used that word before, your daily devotions? Okay. After this morning, I hope you stop. We'll, we'll, we'll figure that out in a little bit here. How many of you would like to hear the story of how I proposed to my wife? Have I told it in here before? No? Okay, good. She's not here this morning, so she can't contradict how romantic I'm going to sound. <laughs> She's on a trip with our kids visiting friends. But 
Uh, we started dating between my, senior, my junior year and senior year and her freshman year and sophomore year in high school. Neither of us had ever dated anybody else before. She was my first girlfriend. I was her first boyfriend. And we've never dated anybody else since. We, I proposed to her a little bit after our third year anniversary, and then we were engaged for a year. So we were together for four years before we got married. And this last June, we celebrated our 16th year wedding anniversary. So that means we've been together because I was smart, and I, we had our wedding on our anniversary day. So I only have to remember one. So we've been together married 16 years, but we've been together as a couple for 20 years, which is insane to me to even think of. It's well over half of my life. So when I went to propose to her, we had had a lot of history together. She had gone after she graduated from high school. Yes, I proposed to her right after she graduated from high school because we are young. And she uh, came back from a trip that she had gone on to Europe to kind of do a big tour of Europe right after high school. And she came home. She had just spent like 16 hours of flying home. She got home at like 2 a.m. or something like that. And one of our close friends had picked her up and brought her home. And I had filled her bedroom with something like 400 helium balloons. And in one of those balloons was her promise ring that I had bought her on our one-year anniversary. And tied to the string on the outside was a note that said that the ring was in there. And the note was a clue to the next stop in a scavenger hunt that I had designed for her. I was a youth minister. So... She popped the balloon, she got her ring back, and then she opened the card and she saw a clue to the next stop. And then over and over at every stop, we had, I had a group of friends that were there waiting for her to arrive. And they had something special for her, some kind of gift. There was chocolate strawberries, there were teddy bears, there was all kinds of gifts that she got along the way. And each one she got a clue, and I think there was like six stops in all. And the very last stop... She got to our church, the church that we had met in youth group in. Uh, we were in a different building than where we had met, but we were meeting in this building at the time. And so, and I was working there and she came up to the parking lot and there I was dressed in a tuxedo. And I was, uh, I had a table that looked, you know, like a fancy restaurant table. And then our youth minister, who's the one who did our wedding, came out and he took our order and the only thing on the the menu was cheesecake, because that's all I had bought. And he brought cheesecake out for us. And then we sat there, and we talked. And I asked her all about her trip for Europe. We sat there for like 20 minutes. And my mom and her mom and our youth minister were waiting for me to propose. It must have seemed like forever to them. Did it, Mom? Yeah. It seemed like forever to Stacy because I was dragging it on on purpose, because I knew she knew what was happening. And this is where... I'm not so romantic and more a jerk. She gets to a point where she says, was this it? <laughs> and I said, yeah, you missed our third year anniversary. So I, this was our, my anniversary surprise for you. And then her face sell, just fell in sadness. And I let it go for another five <laughs> minutes. <laughs> and then I got on my knee and I proposed to her. I've done many romantic things for her and with her since we've been married in the last 16 years. I like to see myself as a romantic. I like that kind of stuff, and I like doing things to surprise her. I like to do things that make her feel special. And so as often as I can and as often as I think of it, I try and do romantic things for her. 
I hope the same for a relationship with you, no matter what it is, that there is someone who cares about you, whether it's a friend, a family member, or a spouse, or whatever it is that cares about you to do special things for you, because it feels good when somebody loves you that much that they think about you and that they do and go over and above to do things for you to make you happy, right? How many of you agree with that statement? Everybody's hands should be going up. <laughs> good. Let me tell you that no matter how you feel this morning or no matter what you think about your own life, that is your situation. That is your situation. Whether you have a human being sitting next to you or in your life at all where you feel like they care for you that much, let me tell you that Scripture tells us that you have someone who's greater than all other things. In fact, he's the one who ascribes value to all things in the universe and that he loves you that much. And that he's gone that far in showing you his grandiose care and concern and love for you. I talked a few weeks ago about the story of Hosea. Do you guys remember that? This is a prophet that God called to show and live out what his relationship with Israel was like. Because he had called Israel into this special relationship with himself. And yet Israel was building these temples and these altars to all these other gods from other nations. And they were worshiping these other gods. And, and God felt like he was living up to all the parts of his relationship with them, but Israel was not responding the way that they were supposed to in their relationship with God. And so he told Hosea, I want you to go marry a woman who's not going to be faithful to you. In fact, she was a prostitute. And so he goes and he sends her out, or sends Hosea out to marry this woman named Gomer. And Gomer is continually unfaithful to her and over and over and over again. And eventually she's out and she's doing her own thing and she's got all these boyfriends that are giving her these extravagant gifts. And God tells Hosea to go and to make sure that all of these boyfriends' ways of giving her gifts are blocked so that she can't receive anything good from anyone else. And I want you to buy all of her debt for her slavery out from all the masters that she owes things to, and I want you to redeem her back. And then he begins to talk to Israel. And in this prophecy, he begins to tell Israel that this is what you've done. This is what you've done. Though I have poured my love upon you, you've gone and you've spread yourself all over the nations and you've followed after all kinds of gods who were not the ones who rescued you and brought you out of Egypt and gave you this land of plenty. And so I've hemmed in your ways. And I've made it difficult for you because I want you to see that the true life you can have is only in me. And then he says this to her. Therefore, I will now allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. From there, I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Accor a door of hope. There, she shall respond as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt." I think and I fear that a lot of you, like me, have this idea of God, that he's this, this big tyrant in the sky who just wants to demand things of your life and wants to make you do things a way that doesn't feel fulfilling to you or that isn't good for you or, or whatever. He wants to take something from you. 
And we often talk about the God of the Old Testament and then the God of the New Testament and Jesus and Jesus' mercy and the God of the Old Testament is wrath. Does that sound like a God of wrath? Listen. His entire discipline and punishment of Israel was so that he could bring her to a point where she could see his love for her and he could then romantically allure her back into his presence. Whoa. 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 Now we might think that the term devotion is a fitting response to that. Because I would hope that my wife is devoted to me. Right? And my wife would hope that I'm devoted to her. But this is something more than devotion that God shows to us. And so it's something more than devotion that he wants back from us. And so that's why I've called this series Encounter. Because though devotion is a good word and is a, is a word we should use in our relationship with God, what God really wants with us is an intimate and meaningful encounter so that we would experience who he genuinely is and how much he genuinely loves us so that he might allure you, romantically draw you into his presence and into his purpose in all of creation. And so this whole series, Encounter, is really a series where we're trying to look at, well, how do we develop this in our lives? What are the practices that we should devote ourselves to, that we should try and practice so that we might develop a relationship of encounter with God? Now, next summer, we're going to actually look at 10 different practices. We're going to look at these four we're going to do again but we're going to look at um, six others and kind of go a little bit more deeply. But this is going to be a shorter version of just looking at what I think are the four building blocks of an encounter relationship with God. And if you really want this kind of a relationship with God, you will devote yourself to doing these things every day. The first one that we're going to look at this morning is prayer. And it comes to our passage that we looked at with Jesus teaching about prayer. Now, Jesus teaches this from the Sermon on the Mount. Um, if you guys are going, if any of you are going to Israel with me in January, we are going to actually go to the Mount where Jesus preached this sermon. It's the geographical location that for sure in one of these hills he, he preached this. But there's a specific location where scholars are pretty sure that it would have been where he preached it because of the geography. It is a natural amphitheater and thousands of people sitting on this hillside would have been able to hear everything he said. And we're going to stand there and you all are going to be able to sit and spread out on that hill. And then we're going to have people read the Sermon on the Mount from the bottom of that. And so it's going to be a really cool experience, but this is where Jesus began to teach some of his disciples some important things about a relationship with God. And he teaches them about prayer. So it's a good place for us to start this morning. And he starts off with two things you shouldn't do. The first thing he says is, and whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in synagogues. You know, I found that really ironic because I had just finished praying and then I read that and I was kind of in a synagogue. And I was like, oh, 
okay? <laughs> and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. Now, all of us know this. All of us have met somebody in our lives that they didn't think of you and their relationship with you as something that was worthwhile in and of itself, but instead they only saw their relationship with you as something that led to them being able to get something from you, right? How many of you have experienced a relationship where the person just wanted to get something out of you? Yeah, a lot of us. I wanted to put a picture of the Kardashians up. Because the idea of just being able to be seen next to other celebrities makes their celebrity stature go up, right? They're not famous for anything. They're famous for being famous. And their whole thing and how it started was being close to those who the world kind of thought of really highly through their celebrity status. And as they were seen more and more with these celebrities, they got their Q factor raised higher and higher. And so these relationships that they had with all the celebrities, it was really just about serving themselves, about raising their Q factor in society. And we've all known people like that who have a relationship with us simply because they want to try and get something out of us. Many of you have probably thought, that's all Chris really cares about in relationship with me. He just wants to see what I could do for the church. That's not true. I don't care what you do for the church. Now, I might call you to do something for the church. I might ask you, but that's not why I care about any of you. And if you do nothing for the church, I'll still care for you as much as the person who does a ton for the church. So don't stress about that. That's not my desire. But we all know this feeling. We all know this experience. And so this is what God is telling us through Jesus' teaching about prayer. If you are simply trying to get yourself seen in a relationship with God so that you can kind of get credit for it and you can be praised by other human beings, notices, notice Jesus' warning. They have received their reward in full. He's not saying that they won't get what they want. Them praising God on the street corners and making themselves look righteous, they're going to get the praise from the people around them, correct? They're going to get the enjoyment of people who think highly of them, around them, the humans that are next to them. But what Jesus is implying is that there's a reward they could have sought that would have been better than that, and they're going to miss out on that. And I think Jesus' ministry tells us that that reward is a relationship, an encounter with God through him that we can have daily. His second warning, his second do not, he says this, when you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so there's a practice in a lot of other religions that if you can memorize certain chants and you can say them over and over and over again enough times that you'll somehow magically make the gods just realize or just want to get rid of you because you're annoying or something. And then they'll just respond to you and give you what you want because you're just so uh, verbose in all the things you've said. Or you've somehow figured out a magical incantation and you, you've been able to unlock by saying these things over and over again some kind of magic that allows you to be the one who has control over what you receive. And so it's almost like a, a wish, a, one of those little wish things that you blow. That you just, you're, you're saying these things and you're hoping that God will give you what you want. 
How many of you have ever had a relationship with someone where they just talked and 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 you never got to talk at all? And you're, all of you are thinking, yeah, we all know you, Chris. <laughs> How many of you have had a relationship like that? How many of you would say that's your most fulfilling relationship? Probably very few. Right? You need to reciprocate by listening to the other person talk. There's got to be a give and take in this for a true encounter and a relationship to take place. And so what Jesus is teaching us in this second do not is he's telling you that you don't have to memorize some magical incantation. God is not some genie in a bottle that's waiting for you to unlock him to give you your wishes. That's not what God's about. God is wanting and desiring after an encounter, a relationship with you that is meaningful, that he may impart to you his value and his worth and his glory into your life. His way, not your way. So he's not a magical incantation. At the end of the thing, there's, at the end of Jesus' teaching, he says this weird thing. He says, pray then this way, and then he gives us the Lord's Prayer, something we've all known. Actually, it shouldn't be called the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer really is in John 17. That's his prayer for us, if you want to go read that. But this is the model prayer. This is Jesus' model and example of prayer. And we all know it. We just said it by heart just a little bit ago. But at the end of it, he says this, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Have any of you ever found that weird that he tacked that on to the end of a thing about prayer? None of you have ever thought that was weird? Am I alone? (laughs) I guess I'm alone. I think that's weird. Why is he all of a sudden just tack this on? Oh, yeah, by the way, I mean, that's how I work. I click my memory or something. Oh, yeah, let me tell you this, too. But that's not how Jesus worked. He was intentional in everything he did. And so when he says this at the end, what I think he's doing is he's telling you what the entire model he just gave you was about. And that it's about relationship. Because why does forgiveness exist? Forgiveness exists solely for relationship. There's no other purpose to forgiveness, right? The only reason why you would practice forgiveness is to maintain a relationship that's been broken, right? The only reason why you would receive forgiveness is to restore a relationship that you've broken, correct? And so this idea, when he puts it in at the end, forgive others, because in this, God will forgive you. He's talking about relationships, that we need to have our relationships with each other, in a good place if we want to expect to have a relationship with him in heaven. So he's calling us into this deep and abiding friendship and relationship. He's calling you into this deep and abiding friendship and relationship, an encounter that is more than just you doing your duty of devotions, but is truly intimate and meaningful in a way that will change everything about you and make you better. That's what God calls you into. That's what God wants for you. I have a couple little key things that I'm not going to expand very much. I just want you guys to think about them. Four, four little things that I think you should, you should think about in terms of your prayer life. 
Okay, you already saw Jesus' model prayer. It's about approaching God in a way that is almost casual, in a way that you're, res- you're respecting him, but you're understanding that he's calling you into a friendship or relationship. That's it. He's breaking down this, these formal structures that were in his day. But let me tell you some things that are kind of hidden beneath the surface. One, time. How many of you have a relationship with somebody who you haven't seen in 15, 20 years? A lot of us. Would you call that relationship your strongest current relationship? No. Now, when you get to see them again because of the history that you shared, it all pops back up, right? And you begin, but you also notice and see all the things you missed together, the stories that they've had since the last time you've talked. And you recognize that you could be closer if you had shared all those together. And so if you think you can grow in your relationship with God, if you think that you can have a deeper, more meaningful daily encounter with him without putting in the time, then you are fooling yourself. You know that's not true about your human relationships, so you should know that it's not true about your relationship with God. You have to commit the time, whatever time you can give. Maybe it's 15 minutes every single morning that you start and you put yourself in the right frame of mind to be to be aware of God's presence all day long. Maybe it's 15 minutes at the end of day as you reflect and you think about all that he gave you and that you give him thanks. But if you don't give him the time and you don't commit the time to pray, then forget about all the things I'm going to talk about in the next week. This is the most foundational thing for your relationship with God. The second thing, vulnerability. In his model, Jesus has you confess your sins, right? Forgive me my trespasses or forgive me my debts. In Scripture, we're told to come before God and we're to bear all of our vulnerability before him. Because we can't really hide from him anyways, right? And we're only fooling ourselves when we think we can hide things from him or when we think we can hide behind our little bush like Adam and Eve while he stands and calls our name. And so when we come before God, not only should we give him time, we should be completely honest with him. That means if you're mad with him, you say, God, I'm mad with you. That means if you feel like he's distant from you, you say, why do you feel so distant from me? Any feeling you have, bring it to him in complete and utter vulnerability, and I promise you he will respond to you. Third thing, listening. We talked about it a little bit in the many words thing. It doesn't feel good when we have a relationship with someone and all they do is talk, 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 and they never listen to you. Well, imagine God's end of the conversation when all you do is come to him and you tell him all your things that you need and all the things in the world that you find to be wrong and and you're just talking, 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 and you never silence yourself in that prayer time to intentionally let him respond to you in his Holy Spirit. So you need to build time into your prayer to just sit in silence and learn to to meditate and to think in in a way that you can be open to hear the Holy Spirit working in your life. Now, that's a lot harder thing to do than what I just said. (laughs) And if you want help with that, come see me and I will help you with that. Not saying I'm a master of it in any way, but I think I can help you with some of that. The last thing is trust. How many of you say that you have a phenomenal, strong relationship with some good friend of yours, but you don't trust them at all? No. (laughs) No. Trust is at the center of any good relationship, right? And so you have to learn to trust God. 
in order to have a good relationship with him and to pray honestly with him. You're never going to be vulnerable with God if you think that he's always out to get you, right? So you need to learn to trust him. You need to learn to release your fears. You need to learn to release your control and to surrender to him so that he can do with you as he sees fit because he made you and he knows exactly what you need to be made whole and to be fulfilled in all your life and all of eternity. As we go through this series on encounter, as we talk about what it means to be in a relationship with God and these tools that we can use to develop this, never forget the image of God standing with a bouquet of roses in the wilderness, attempting to allure Israel back into his good graces. Because that's his stance towards you. He loves you. He deeply wants a relationship with you. He's built you for a relationship with him. But he's not forcing you. He's alluring you. He's romantically drawing you into that relationship with him. Keep that image in mind as you pray to him each day. My charge to you is simple. Set some kind of goal before you leave this building today of what you're going to do in your prayer life this week. Whether you go from not praying at all to, hey, I'm going to pray one time this week. Good. Or if you pray every day, increase how long you pray every day. In some way, challenge yourself to seek after God, to have an encounter with God in prayer in a new way this week. And if you need help with ideas, talk to me afterwards. I can give you some ideas. And may the God who loves you deeply allure you into a place of hope, into a place of abundance that you might be his for all eternity. Amen.